Remember uh, the candy now and later? Maybe you uh, had some of that in your Easter baskets or whatever that you got here. Uh, the 3,000 pieces of candy we had scattered all over. I'm sure there were some now and laters scattered among the, the rest of the candy. Now and laters are crazy. And they're called that because you put them in now and later they're still there. Uh, you don't want to try to chew them because you'll have to go to the dentist. Uh, I mean, th- these things could survive a nuclear holocaust or something. They're, they're crazy. Um, and last week I said that the resurrection of Jesus gives Christians a two-sided coin of hope. It's, uh, you know, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. And last week we mentioned the current, the, the now impacts of Christ's resurrection that we are raised from spiritual death to new life and royal status with Jesus in heaven. We have the ability to choose here and now every day to die to sin and self instead of being constantly defeated by sin. And we talked about the fact that we also have real-time help and hope for the daily difficulties of everyday life, all those discouragements, that the the power of Easter Sunday is power for Monday morning. That's the the now, and we talked about that last week. And today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about why the resurrection matters later. So think of the now and later candy. We've, We've addressed the now, now we're talking about the effects, the benefits, the impact of the resurrection later for eternity. The answer as we finish it up, why the resurrection matters later, and why that is the reason for the hope we have. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 22 is where we're going to be starting out. Love for you to join me in that passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 22. And I will be reading from the CSB. The Apostle Paul writes there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. This is the ending of him being uh, kind of ironic, playing the devil's advocate. We talked about this on Easter Sunday. He said, you know, there's many of you who say there is no resurrection. There's a lot of you saying that. There's a lot of people saying that today in in our culture. And he said, okay, let's say there is no resurrection. Well, if there's no resurrection of the dead for anybody, then that means that not even Christ was raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then his death was pointless. Your faith is pointless. You're still in your sins. And this is all just a cruel joke. And then he went further than that even. And he said, if if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're liars. God's a liar too. You can't really believe anything that you've heard us say, and you can't really believe anything about him. And that's when he, then in the conclusion of that section, he said what I just read, that it's really miserable indeed if it's only for this life, if it's only in this life that we have any hope in a Christian faith or a Christian life, then we are above all people the most to be pitied. We, we are absolutely pitiable because we've believed a total lie. We've lived our lives in a way that we shouldn't have lived. It didn't matter. But then verse 20. Verse 20. Praise God for verse 20, right? 
but as it is. In other words, the reality is this. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, he's talking about Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. The second Adam. The perfect Adam. Jesus Christ. Verse 22, For just as in Adam all die, it's the fate of every human being, so also in Christ all will be made alive. What that tells us, church, is very good news indeed. It's this, that because of Christ's resurrection, because of that fact, because of that reality, because of Christ's resurrection, death is now the doorway to life for every Christian. So if you are in Christ this morning, if you belong to Him, you've given Him your life, and He is your life, then death doesn't need to be terrifying to you and me. We can absolutely and should view it as the doorway through which we enter into real life, never-ending life. And that is something to be excited about. Don't you agree? That's something that the world can't provide. That's something the world cannot know. Nobody can know that or experience that outside of Christ. But through Christ, everyone and anyone can have that as their reality. I hope it's your reality this morning. I hope that's what you know. I hope that is what is waiting for you. This makes me think of one of my favorite uh, literary series, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in particular. And in that book, the Jesus character is Aslan, the great lion. The white witch who portrays Satan, she has finally done what she has wanted to do for a very long time. She has overcome Aslan. He's become her victim. She's got him right where he, she wants him. And in place of Edmund, one of the four children that came into Narnia, Aslan offers his life to the witch in place of Edmund to give him freedom. What a picture right there of atonement, right? So she, she takes him and, and all of her evil followers and they strap him to the stone table. Ties him down. And she plunges a knife into him and he dies. And hidden in the bushes are Susan and Lucy. They see him die. They're weeping. They're crying. They're, they're there the rest of the night into the early morning. They go and they see him dead there on the table. And then the mice come and start chewing away the cords that bind him. And they're trying to chase the mice off. And they turn away. They just can't stand the sight of their beloved Aslan there on the stone table dead. And then all of a sudden they hear this loud crack and the earth shakes. And they turn around and the stone table is broken in two. And there's no Aslan. And they look around for him and they, they ask each other, where could he have gone? How did this happen? And then all of a sudden, Aslan says, children. And they turn around and there's Aslan. And they say, how could this be? We, we just saw you. You were dead. How are you here? And Aslan says, because the witch forgot about something else within the deep magic. And he, he said this quote, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table would crack and death itself would start working backward. 
That is what the empty tomb shouts. That is the truth of resurrection. That's the truth of Easter that we celebrate and should celebrate long, long after Easter, every day, every moment, that because of what Jesus did through the empty tomb, overcoming the grave, death itself has started working backward for everyone that's in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With that in mind, let's keep going. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-5. through 1 Peter 1. 3 through 5. Peter, who had, like the other disciples, cowered away in fear. Peter, who denied his Lord, his Savior, when he said, I will never betray you, I'll never deny you, I'll never leave you, I don't care what anybody else will do, I'm with you forever, I'm with you to the end. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And he was restored. And in light of the resurrection fact, in the light of the reality of the resurrection, his faith was emboldened, restored, and he was used by his resurrected Savior to be instrumental in the launch and the the growth of the church. And he had this to say. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through, by means of, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What a contrast to everything we know here in this life. Total contrast. Kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded, kept secure by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's the now and later aspect again. We experience so many benefits and impacts of the reality of the resurrection of Christ here and now. We've covered that uh, in quite a bit of detail. But we're not fully in that yet. We're now and not yet. That's the dichotomy of the Christian life. We, we have the life of Christ in us, but we aren't fully caught up yet to that eternal state. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places right now, spiritually. We saw that last week. But we haven't quite fully, literally caught up to that because you're still sitting here in a body that is decaying as, as I speak prone to failure, prone to weakness, prone to sin. So we have this reality that is an absolute reality. It's a done deal. It's fact. It's established. But we're not caught up to it yet. It's ahead of us. So we're in the not yet reality as well. And because of that, it's hard sometimes to really view what is waiting for us as much of a reality as what we're in right now. Because of the fact that we're not caught up to that yet. I mean, it went from 80 degrees to 50. We're in what I like to call the nasty now and now. We haven't caught up to the sweet by and by yet. And so, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? To live in light of eternity. To live in light of what we 
believe and hope and know by faith will happen, that assurance of faith that we have, it's hard to have that apply to, to here and to now. And because of that, Peter, still writing in his second epistle, said this in 2 Peter 3, 3-9. Three through nine. 2 Peter 3, 3-9. Three through nine. He said, he said, he said this challenge and this, he gave this warning and this instruction and it's good for us to heed. It's good for us to remember and to, to be mindful of. Verse three. Above all, be aware of this. Be mindful of this. Scoffers, cynics, skeptics. Scoffers will come in the last days scoffing and following their own evil desires saying, where is his coming? That he promised. You, you have to say it like that, you know? You have to read it like that and use that inflection in your voice when you hear this. <laughs> Scoffers, scoffing, saying, Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. You know, it's like a death and taxes kind of thing, right? They deliberately overlook, verse 5, they deliberately overlook this. By the Word of God, the heavens came into being long ago. You know, don't you? You remember, don't you? Who, not just what, but who that Word of God is. You remember, right? John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. God the Son, Jesus, the eternal Word, the expression of all the Father is, the radiance of the very glory of God. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He goes on to tell us that by the Word all things were made so that nothing that has been made was made apart from Him or outside of Him. Colossians 1 echoes that. That He is the one through whom the Father made all things. Hebrews 1 says, By Him, by the Word, by His Son, in the last days He has spoken to us by His Son, through whom, by whom, He made all of the universe. So by the Word of God, by Jesus Himself, the heavens came into being long ago. And the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. In verse 7, by the same Word, Jesus, by the same eternal Word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. This is important for us to remember. With the Lord... One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise as some understand delay, like all those scoffers He referenced, and like all the scoffers today. Why do you believe that stuff? Why do you believe about a literal coming again of, of Jesus? Where is he? Where is he? Where has He been all this time? Don't you think He would come by now if He was going to? I mean, you know, the scoffers continue. They weren't limited to Peter's day. 
So this verse is just as relevant today as it was to Peter's original readers. The Lord does not delay His promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The fact that Jesus has not returned, ushering in the judgment of all mankind, the fact that you are still alive and breathing and in this seat today is because He is drawing you to Himself. He is giving you, if you have not yet repented of your sin, if you have not yet turned to this resurrected Savior, He's giving you another chance right now. That's why you're still alive. If you have not, if you've not yet given your life to Christ and you're still alive and you're here, it's for that fact and that reason. The fact that He has not returned, ushering in this fiery judgment that is absolutely a fact and has been decreed and is just waiting to happen for that Word, the Word that made all of the heavens and earth, that same Word will say, now. And it will all be burned up and culminated in the final plan that has been put in place from eternity past And the reason that has not happened yet is because He is merciful. And He is patient. And He is wanting your salvation. But, it will not just go on forever. There will be a day. There will be a reckoning. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 10 through 13. Second Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. So it should be just a page or a screen flip over or a swipe. Second Peter 3, 10 through 13. So he's addressing those scoffers and the skeptics and the cynics. Well, where is he? Why hasn't he come? Everything's continued the way it always has. Why believe that? Gave the reason for that delay as as people are are referring to it, delay as they understand delay, and he's clarifying what that means and why, and then he says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Colossians 1.17, after Paul writes about the fact that Jesus is the Creator, he says in verse 17, He is before all things, and by Him, by Jesus, all things hold together. Some translations say exist or have their, their meaning, have their existence. By Him, all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3, after Uh, It says, after Jesus, through whom the Father has spoken, after He made atonement for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God, and that He sustains all things by His powerful Word. The Word that spoke all things into existence is by that same Word holding everything together. The chair you're sitting on is being held together right now by the eternal Word, Jesus The cross that He went and hung on and died on, He was holding together at the atomic level while He was on the cross. That means that Jesus is holding you together right now and all of the universe, all the galaxies, all of the solar systems, He's holding it all together. together. And one day, in, in the course of time, along with His sovereign plan, at some point, 
he will simply say, stop existing. And it will all go away. And again, the fact that that has not happened yet is a testament to the mercy of our God. What a long-suffering God we have. Here's the result of that or the application that should be made. Verse 11. Since, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. More coming on that in the coming weeks, by the way. It is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. So in light of that happening, in light of that reality, it's clear how we should live now, here, as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming, which is an incredible statement right there. That means that the more and more people that come to Christ in salvation the more we live in a manner of of holiness and righteousness and in contrast to the evilness of the world, and the more we are able to give people a reason for the answer when they ask us why we have this hope and we point them to a crucified and and resurrected and risen, uh, ruling, reigning, returning Savior, the more we do that and the more people come to Him, this tells us that that actually hastens His coming. Isn't that marvelous? The more we are an example of these truths, the more we point people to Christ, and the more they come to Him, the sooner His appearing will be. We still don't know when that's going to be, but it just tells us, as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming, and that points back to His statement that it's clear what sort of people we should be in holy conduct and godliness. It all ties together there. Here's the second part of verse 12. Because of that day, because of that day, the heavens, the day of the Lord, he's referring to, the day of the, the, the second coming of Christ, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire, and the elements will melt with heat. But, verse 13, but based on his promise, isn't that, isn't that just an amazing, wonderful Beautiful statement, but based on His promise. You know, the same kind of promise that said, I will send a Redeemer all the way back to the garden, Genesis 3.15. This is a really big problem, but it's not going to be an eternal problem. The promise of a coming Redeemer then traced all through the Old Testament. He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. And then what we celebrate at Christmas, promise kept. Jesus, as He lived and walked and ministered, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to bear the sins that you can't bear. I'm going to provide forgiveness that you can't earn. Went to the cross. Promise kept. All the weight of our sin fell on Him. We got forgiveness. But I'm going to rise again. I'm not going to stay dead. On the third day, I'll rise again victoriously, and I'll give you my victory. Empty tomb. Promise kept. That tells us we can believe every single one of God's promises. So, verse 13, but based on His promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth 
where righteousness dwells. So, the current heavens and the current earth, the current universe, it's going to go away. It's going to burn. It's all going to burn and be dissolved. But a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells will come and will be a reality. Here's what Isaiah 65, 17 says. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. But listen, Isaiah 65, 17. Here's a promise of God. For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Hallelujah for that. And guess who's going to do it? The same one who spoke the current heavens and earth into being. The same ones that will roll them all up like a scroll, cause them all to burn away. He'll make it all new again. Why? Because of who Jesus is. Because of who Jesus is. Because of what He is. Jesus was the all-powerful Creator. He's the life-giving Savior. And He's our day-to-day sustainer. I'm going to read that again. It's important for you to get this. Jesus was the all-powerful Creator all the way at the beginning. In the beginning, God created. That was Jesus Jesus was the all-powerful Creator. He's the life-giving Savior. By Him, all things sustain and hold together and have their existence. And He's the life-giving Savior. He gives us our our hope and our life and our our purpose and our salvation. And He's our day-to-day sustainer, holding everything, everything together by His powerful Word. Guess what that means, church? He's more than able then to be a universe remaker. In light of all that, in light of the fact that He was the all-powerful Creator and He's the life-giving Savior and the day-to-day sustainer that we need and depend on for our very breath, He's more than able, more than capable to be a universe remaker. And that's exactly what He's going to be one day. It's a fact. It's a fact. Believe it. Believe it. Cling to it. Hope in it. Spread it. Proclaim it. Point people to it. To Him. The universe remaker. And here's the really amazing part. We don't have to wait until that coming day, whenever it's going to be, to have to see all things made new and experience all things new. Yeah, that'll be when we fully, fully experience all things new, when we literally have a new heavens and earth. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us right here and now, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. Right here and now. You don't have to wait for, for what's being described here. But what a day that will be when all of that actually happens. We have a little taste of it. We have a little preview. You know, like with the, you go to see a movie and you have the trailers of the upcoming movies. And for people like us that are usually late to everything... Uh, it's really good to know that there's going to be about 10 minutes of previews, right? Um, and they do that so that you can get excited about what's coming. And, oh, I want to see that. Oh, I, I, want, I can't wait for that. Well, in Revelation, among other things, we get a, a really great preview. We get a really amazing sneak peek at the reality that is waiting. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. 
John, the last living apostle, writing down the vision that was given to him by none other than Jesus. All of Revelation is about Jesus. It all points to him. We covered that in our Revelation series here, which, by the way, is on our podcast. It'd be good for you to listen to sometime. Revelation 21, 1-7. John says this, after all of these incredible scenes and images and, and scary, terrifying examples of judgment and all the things he sees goes away, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Right, right there we, we see an assurance of the promise kept Isaiah 65, 17, long before Christ, said, I, God said, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth one day. Peter said, it's going to happen. The earth, the elements will all burn away. Well, here's John seeing all of the after effects of that. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His peoples, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. Guess what, church? Heaven's not some far-off, mysterious place up in the sky or north of the sky. It's not some you know, celestial existence way up above the solar systems. No, guess what? Heaven's going to be on earth. We don't go up to heaven in the, in the final, you know, final days of everything, the culmination of the age and the restoration of all things. Heaven's going to be on a new earth. Heaven comes down to us. Just like it did when Jesus left heaven to come and be born as a baby in Bethlehem, that was heaven coming down. And heaven will finally and fully and eternally be on a a completely remade earth. (laughs) And here's what we will experience in that new earth that's made heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. So no no more will we say about someone they passed away. Then we'll get to say death passed away. It reminds me of a great question from a hobbit named Samwise Gamgee in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series. He said to Gandalf, when, whom he thought was dead, and everybody thought was dead and long gone, and appeared before them in this glorious state, the wizard Gandalf, he says to him, Is everything sad now going to come untrue? Is everything sad now going to come untrue? 
Revelation, the resurrection, the whole of the Bible, the reality of all that God has let us know and shouted through every page of Scripture, it's a resounding yes. Yes, everything sad will come untrue. Verse 5 of Revelation 21, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. You can count on them. You can trust them. You can hope in them. You can be encouraged by them. And this isn't just for you, John. It's not just for the Asia Minor churches. This is for everyone that's going to come in every age that's going to come to Christ. I want them to have this record so they can go back to it and believe it and trust in it and hope in it. I'm making everything new. Then he said to me, it is done. It's done. It's a done deal. It's fact. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty. Is that you? Yes, it is. It's me. It's all of us. We're all thirsty for meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment that only Jesus can provide. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life, which Jesus is. The one who conquers will inherit these things, not because we deserve it or could earn it, because it was freely given by grace, paid for in full by Jesus. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son and daughter. So here's what it means. Here's what it all comes down to. If you belong to Jesus... He is your life, and you've given Him your life. If you belong to Jesus, this, all of this, is your reality. It's your reality. And that is the reason for your hope, Christian. It's not found in the political party or politicians you prefer. It's not found in ideal circumstances and everything going exactly right. It's not found in possessions or having every desire and want fulfilled, it's not found in any of those things. Hope is the direct result of the resurrection of Jesus. And the hope it provides is for now and later. May we live in light of that now. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, the power of it, the hope contained in it, the life found in every single word. But none of it would matter at all. Not even even that Jesus went to the cross would matter if He didn't come out of the tomb. So thank You, Father, for the empty tomb. Thank You for the resurrection of our Savior. Thank You that in Him and in His resurrection, every promise that You gave has been kept and is assured and we can look to with absolute certainty and trust and hope. Thank You that what is to come is just as much a reality as what has happened in the past and it's just as much of a reality as our present reality is. So may we live in this reality, in the present, in light of what is to come. May we live in holiness and in righteousness, drawing people to what we have, 
and by so doing even hasten the coming of Jesus and the culmination and the renewal of all things when heaven comes down to earth and all is made new. In the meantime, help us to live for You in light of all of this. By the power of Your Spirit, in Jesus' name I pray, Amen.